Our theme today is Africa, the world's next global economic shaper. Mr. President, you have had a significant voice around Africa gaining significant seats at decision-making tables, not just any decision-making tables, the most important that shape our world. I want to refer to some of the comments that you made about the G20. Um, with regard to the African Union joining, South Africa now is the only country representing Africa right now. We know the G20 has, the, during the next meeting, the AU uh, will hopefully join. We have the similar issue at the UN Security Council, where Africa does not have a permanent seat. I want you to tell me about the conversations that you're having and whether you believe now is the time for the continent. Merci Thank you very much. Uh, I want to start by congratulating the UAE for the success of this 10th edition of the World Government Summit that shows the resilience but also the success of the country. And I want to thank the President of the UAE, His Highness, Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, but also uh, His Highness Mohammed uh, bin Rashid Al Maktoum, but also all of the leaders of this country for holding this very important forum. Uh, regarding Africa, as you said, we realized that the international governance is not fair in, in the sense that the rules that govern the world were put uh, in the aftermath of the Second World War. And two-thirds of uh, the members of the United Nations were not back then independent countries. This shows that there's a lack of fairness. And uh, Africa, sadly, is the continent that most was affected by this unfairness, because this entire continent is absent from the main organ of the United Nations, that is the Security Council, and who is tasked with uh, security and peace in the world. We have fought for decades, and we also are fighting to change the rules of um, Bretton Woods institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. We also fight for uh, the adhesion of Africa as a permanent member of the G20. This fight I have led with the African Union. But it was heard by member countries of the G20 who accepted the um, adhesion of Africa that will be validated in the next G20 in India. And the five permanent members of G20 already gave their active support to Africa. We know these five members. We have China, we have France, we have the United States, we have the UK. And the fifth country is... Um, I cannot forget uh, any of these countries. So it is France, UK, US, China, and Russia. These countries have supported. Uh, um, we also have other countries like um, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, Japan, but also European Union. We also have gathered the support of other members, and we are continuing this fight uh, in the institutions of Bretton Woods. So Africa will become 
become a continent that will have a main role uh, on the international level, and we want to take part in decision-making. Um, thank you very much uh, for, for that, Mr. President. Um, because we have 10 minutes, we have to completely rush into, into the big topics. And I want to talk about the power access uh, that, that could be changing and shifting. Um, I think it is very well known that, that most of African countries chose to remain neutral with uh, regards to the, the Russian war in Ukraine. And, and there's a lot of talk around the criticism that, that followed that, specifically from the West and the United States. What is your stance at this point in time around the shifts in power and where Africa is going to settle with regards to what we're seeing? Because there's, there's, there's a lot of concern. There's going to be global polarization. Perhaps that is already playing out. We to do the main problem. It is always the same issue. You see that the war in Ukraine has led to various positions in the world, but we always shed light on the position of Africa. What Africa wants is peace. Africa is in favor of peace, and it doesn't have to be with Russia or with Ukraine. This was our position from the beginning. We said that war is bad. We know that in the African continent because we have lived wars and we are living the consequences of wars even if in our uh, continent because the war in Ukraine has disrupted the um, supply chain and uh, has had effects on the price of oil and every other aspect, uh, uh, namely wheat and fertilizers. So our position is not to be uh, in favor of this side of the or the other. It is to root for the end of this war and to work with all parties in order to rebuild a new world that is far from war. Because sadly, in Africa, we are uh, leading a war against uh, hunger, against terrorism, against climate change. I think we have enough wars uh, that we are leading. So our struggle is the survival of Africa. You actually met with uh, President Putin to discuss food security uh, with grain exports being halted out of Ukraine. We saw the needle moving on that. You have as well been vocal on how the Russian war in Ukraine has actually exacerbated food insecurity um, on the continent. I want you to tell me some about a little bit about that conversation because during a press conference you said that President Putin said that Russia will always support the continent. And there's a clear alliance, right, between African countries and Russia, one that is long-standing. My talks with President Putin happened in June, so this conversation is a bit outdated. But back then, it was very important for us to, to be very aware of the fact that this war has direct consequences on our continent. Uh, especially when it came to grains and wheat in particular, uh, be it the wheat that we received from Ukraine or others coming from Russia. 
So we wished back then that uh, there would be some kind uh, of way to facilitate these, uh, the arrival of these grains to Africa. One month or two months later, with the Security Council of the United Nations and with uh, Turkey, there was an agreement that was finalized uh, in this regard. And uh, more than that, we have worked with certain Western countries like uh, the US or the European Union. We explained how this war has put us in trouble. And uh, today, the United States are working with the African Union in order to allow us to access the market of grains uh, in, in normal conditions. and not according to speculations related to war. And it is the same with the European Union that is lifting all the constraints in order to um, allow us to buy fertilizers and grain. This being said, uh, we are resuming our mediation efforts. Uh, we don't have a lot of means, but we have the will to mediate in order to allow two parties to uh, work uh, in favor of peace because our world needs peace. Today, we are thinking about um, food security and the United States are working towards that. Africa is also committed to produce more and we have launched the project Feed Africa, that is a project of resilience, we have mobilized $32 billion uh, over five years in order to ensure a self-sufficiency of Africa. I think one of the biggest conversations, frankly, since I started my career was the overpricing of risk when it comes to the African continent and just how much African, the premium that African countries have to pay when accessing capital. And, and, and this is something that hasn't moved significantly enough. What do you think needs to change in the international monetary system to actually price risk according to the realities on the ground? What has to change is the perception. The perception Africa is not a place where risk is higher than other continents. Those who invest in Africa, those who were brave enough to invest in Africa know that, know that they have a return on their investments and sometimes they have a higher return than in other countries. Ask DP World. We are here in the country of DP World. DP World is in Senegal, in my country. They have been here for more than 10 years, and they are in other African countries too. And they wanted to co-invest with the state of Senegal on a project of a port with more than $800 million. And we have other companies that are in Africa. However, what makes Africa expensive are the gradings that we get, the gradings that African countries get. So people rely more, more on impressions, on perceptions, and that's why they perceive Africa as risk, risky because insurance become higher, so the cost of investment will become higher. Africa is paying its debts. Africa is respecting its commitments. I don't understand why we are always we always have bad gradings. So this is our fight. Our fight is to be part of the G20, is to 
change the gradings of Africa, uh, knowing that these grading agencies often don't take into consideration the evolution of reality uh, on the continent. Sometimes we have... Sorry, Mr. Do you think the problem lies with the development, uh, development institutions that are mispricing risk as well? Um, because we have seen a big shift, a big effort to create um, African developmental institutions that understand the continent better, they understand the metrics better, but they're not big enough in scale, right? That's the issue. The problem is the method. Rarely do they come see the government. Uh, these agencies rarely see the government. Sometimes they go see the civil society, the NGO. So they hear their perceptions of the government. And this is on this basis that uh, gradings are made. This is not what's most important in a country. When you're grading a country, you have to see the real economy. You have to see the real potential. It is not possible to grade a country solely because we think that there is not enough democracy or because a society is not open enough or because certain countries are not okay to change their legislations in a certain way. We have to respect the sovereignty of states. We have to respect the sovereignty of Africans. We have to judge Africa on what it's doing, not on what they think Africa is doing. This is the whole problem. It is a problem of perception that is very hard to change. It is very normal. It has been uh, decades and centuries that uh, Africa has been suffering. And uh, we see a lot of factors that are still um, hindering the uh, the leap of Africa. We have 30 million of square meters in Africa. We have 65% of this territory that could be planted and produced. We have 1 billion and 400 million um, inhabitants in Africa. All of this is a potential that could be reaped by investors. We, should, we only need a ma major political will, but also a positive communication in order to uh, make Africa uh, a, a place where business can be made. Senegal will be producing its first oil and gas this year. Fantastic. Congratulations. Um, 2.5 million barrels of reserves, correct? Um, I, I want to talk about this in the context of the climate agenda because there is a disconnect between the developmental needs of the continent. The continent, by the way, is on a very hard push to industrialize, wanting to use its natural resources, and then you have the climate issue as a big threat. How are you going to balance those two? Right? Because everyone's trying to get out of oil and gas. Yes. It is possible to combine both uh, in, in a lot of harmony. I think we are there. I am very happy that Senegal uh, uh, will export or will produce oil and gas in the last semesters of 2023. This will clearly bring change in the country's economy. However, more than that, I think that Africa is fully committed for climate. In COP21 in Paris, we were defending this agreement and we are working to 
control the rise in temperatures. And we are really deploying efforts in this regard. In Senegal, we have 31% of our energy that is re renewable energy. Few countries have this result. And we don't understand that in spite of these efforts, we've, we are being told that we have to let go of certain ambitions. 600 million. Right, it's a global existential threat. And you're going to increase your greenhouse gas, gas emissions. We are going to exploit our natural resources in order to ensure electricity for all, in order to be uh, competitive on an economic level. But we are also producing renewable energy like solar, like water energy and all the rest. What I'm saying is we need a fair energetic transition, energy transition. We are are still working on producing renewable energy, of course, but we are also using our natural resources. After the war in, in, in Ukraine and Russia, everyone went back to coal, coal that is the most polluting source of energy, and they went back to uh, fuel. So we shouldn't be told us Africans to take care of the climate uh, and only use renewable energy and not use our uh, natural resources. We really are working in favor of a fair transition. But however, we have to use our oil, our gas, like everyone has done so far. Mr. President, there is a heavy dose of reality when energy security is threatened. I think we've seen that playing out in Absolutely. Europe and there's major hypocrisy. I, we've all uh, witnessed it. Your Excellency, thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure to see you. Pleasure thank too. you and uh, time of pleasure. we'll, we'll, thank we'll you see very you again much. very soon. Thank, thank you. you. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us.